Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. Thanks so much. You may be seated. I, and I like it when this happens. One of the kids brought down their offering, and I scored some Skittles today. So, you know, I should just preach and eat these at the same time. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't you just love hearing me smacking while I'm talking today? All right, let me make you aware of a couple of things I want you to know before we go into our teaching time today. Uh, women's ministry, I'd have you pay attention. All of our announcement sheets are by the offering boxes and the window ledges. Uh, women's mentoring meeting today, if you're looking for deeper connection with the Lord and with other women. Women, I want you to pay attention to this. That open house is today from 2 to 4. Uh, we've started a community group for introverts, and this is our second week to meet. We just meet up here in this half-level up, room 109. Um, I'm going to say, if you're, if you're kind of introverted, you're uncomfortable around people a lot, this is, it has been very refreshing the last couple of weeks. So I would invite you to join us next week, room 109. We're starting up this class. We're going to see where it goes, and I would invite you to join me. And then this Wednesday, we're kicking off midweek at first. Normally, we have adult groups for all different uh, topics, but the first five weeks, we're going to meet together, and we're going to study through the book of Ephesians. We're going to meet in our fourth floor conference center in one large adult group. I have to say, I've been a student of the Bible for a long time, but the, the content of Ephesians has been surprising to me and how Paul has ordered that letter and what he has to teach. So I would invite you to come and, and join me for that study. And then uh, coffee with the pastor. If you're looking at this church, you want to have a conversation. I usually limit this to about 10 people. Meet in our cafe. This will be the last Sunday of the month. Sign up online. Let's spend some time together. Let's talk about this church and what it means to follow Christ here. Now, I do have one more announcement. Jeff Elkins, our worship minister, as you saw him, uh, here a minute ago, he turned 60 years old this week. So would y'all just celebrate Jeff for just a moment? I don't want to let that pass. What, what, I, what I told him is, you look great for 60. The trouble is, you're only 50. So, yeah, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's going to happen to me too, right? So I want you to remember uh, what, what we're doing. We're starting this year by just asking a question. What is the Holy Spirit saying to our church? And here's the challenge of a question, and maybe you've experienced this before. When you ask a question, when you throw a question out there, so many times you get into the weeds, you get into complicated, complex answers, and then somebody in the room goes, hey, have we just thought about this? And sometimes a good question leads you from complexity to simplicity. And let me give you an example. There's a wonderful documentary that I think if you have a daughter, you need to watch this. It's by Matt Walsh, who's a journalist. And the documentary, it's about an hour and a half long. I forget on what streaming service. But it's called What is a Woman? With transgenderism and gender fluidity in our culture, he, he tries to define what is a woman. And it's, it's, he has a little bit of fun with it. He flies all over the country, and here's a map. He's hopping on a plane here and here. And he's talking to academics and activists. He talks to physicians and philosophers, and let me tell you, he gets all kinds of strange answers. You know, a woman can be anything you want to be, or, you know, a woman is a state of mind, and it is a lot of confusion. In one of his last interviews, he's talking with Jordan Peterson, some of you know that name, and he says, 
have you asked your wife this question, what is a woman? And so here's this little map. He hops on an airplane. You see the map going back home to Nashville, Tennessee, where he lives. He walks into his kitchen where his wife is there. Now, all of this is scripted. All of, I, I get that. But he walks into the kitchen, and he asks his wife, what is a woman? And she says, an adult human female. That's what a woman is. And she needs you to open the pickle jar. <laughs> So here's this hour and a half with all these crazy answers, and then it just comes back to this very simple idea of what a woman is. So what is the Holy Spirit saying to our church? If we're not careful, we can get really complicated and complex about that. I would rather us just get beyond complexity to simplicity. Last week, we talked about this. We are unapologetically urban. You probably figured that out when you drove into downtown this morning that we have a lot of challenges and a lot of opportunity by being in an urban environment. But now that's what God has said to our church specifically. Not every church has that call. We do. So in exploring this question more today, I want to take a broader look at the Western church, which includes us. What is the Holy Spirit saying to the church? And so now here's where I want everyone, we're not going to stay here very long, but I want you to see this written in your Bible. So if you have your Bible in your hand or on your phone, go to Matthew chapter 28. We're not going to be here very long, but I want you to see something that's right in front of us. We can get really complicated about what the Spirit is saying to our church and miss the simple answer that's right in front of us. As I give you that address in the Bible, Matthew 28, you probably know where I'm going. This is as Jesus ascends back into heaven before the Holy Spirit comes, and he speaks to his disciples, which represent the church, and he says this, verse 18, then Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded. Right there is the definition of what a disciple is. It's someone who's learning to do everything Jesus commanded. So what is the Holy Spirit saying to our church? It says it right here through the words of Jesus. We should be about learning to do everything Jesus commanded. But now let me just give you a touch of reality. In the Western world, that's not what we do at all. Instead of making disciples, really in the Western church, we have been in the process of creating consumers. And I'm going to give you a, some symbols of the consumeristic Christian culture here in just a minute, but that's kind of what we do. Instead of making disciples that's that's learning to obey everything Jesus said, we've kind of created a consumer mentality. Let me give you a strange story. Back in 1930, there were two scientists married to one another, Luella and Winthrop Kellogg were their names. And they had a son, Donald. Now, they were child human scientists, so this is weird. They used their son as an experiment. At the same time Donald was born, they adopted a chimpanzee. <laughs> this is about to get weird, okay? So just hang on. We, we would call DHS on a couple like this today. But they said, we wonder if we raise both of them together as, as siblings, will the chimpanzee 
take on the characteristics of a human. This is strange, right? So this project went on for several months. They were hoping, and that the chimpanzees was named Gua. By the way, those of you small kids, do you ever feel like you just have a house of chimpanzees, by the way? It kind of feels that way. But they were waiting for this chimpanzee to start imitating Donald. But you know what happened? Donald started imitating the chimpanzee. In fact, they called a, a really fast halt to the experiment when their child started to act like a monkey. So that story tells me two things. Number one, you and I, we are imitation machines, okay? You take everything about the way you do what you do, you learned it from somebody else. The way you smile, the twang in your voice, the accent that you speak with, the way you get ready, the way you take care of yourself, you saw somebody that you admired or that's what you saw and you imitated them. So we, you and I, are imitation machines. Here's the second part of that. And we imitate what's easiest. We rarely imitate what's difficult. We follow the path of least resistance. It's a whole lot easier for the human to imitate the monkey than it is for the monkey to imitate the human. So we are embedded in a culture here of consumerism, that life revolves around me. And then we step into a church where theoretically we believe life revolves around Jesus. But what happens? We imitate what's easiest. Instead of saying, I'm going to learn to do everything Jesus commanded, Instead of being disciples, we become consumers. So here's just three highlights of you might be a consumeristic Christian if, and by the way, as I say these things, I'm pointing at me. When I come into a church, I just want to be anonymous. I, I kind of want to check it out. I want to keep everything at arm's length. I'll do this on my terms. Then if you do get into a church, it becomes about you. I want to make sure this church has the ministries and the programs that will feed me. And if they're not giving me what I want, I'll take my business somewhere else. Now, within a healthy margin, there's not anything wrong with any one of those things, but you see what's left out? It's never a consideration about, I need to be about learning to do everything Jesus commanded. It's easier to imitate what is easy instead of what's difficult. So let's see what Jesus had to say about this. Go with me to Luke chapter 9. Just a few pages over, if you're, from, if you're in Matthew 28, just scoot over to Luke chapter 9. This passage that we're about to read at the end of Luke 9 is the hinge of the entire gospel. Everything that happened before has led up to this, and everything that happens after this is a result of what happens here in this scene. Jesus is turning his face toward Jerusalem and toward the cross, and as he walks along, in fact, look in verse 57, as they were walking along the road. That's telling us more than just about what's physically happening. That's an image of spirituality. How do you learn to obey everything Jesus commanded? It's a journey. It's a process. You're walking down a road. You decide every day whether to take the next step or not. Being a Christian is not about sitting in a church. Being in a Christian is not running crazy like the rest of the world. 
being a Christian is walking. It's learning to obey everything Jesus commanded one step at a time. So what happens here as Jesus is walking along the road, there are some people that have the idea or are given the invitation to follow him. In fact, there's three snippets of conversations. In fact, let's read them first, and then I'll, we'll start to unpack them. As they were walking along, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, really? Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. And that man replied, first, let me go bury my father. Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Three conversations. It's implied in all three of these that the people did not follow Jesus. They decided not to walk down that road. Now, there are three very different reasons, and that's what we're going to explore today. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to press yourself up against this passage. And I'm going to assign a word to each one of these individuals, and I want you to discern, and this is kind of how we're going to end today, kind of discern which one looks most like me. What's holding me back from not imitating, not monkeying around with Jesus, not just being a consumer, but now I'm going to follow him. What's stopping me from doing that? So here's the first scene. I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So here this man says, I'm going to follow you, but Jesus gives him a reality check. Hey, this is not going to be convenient. You need to make sure this is a conviction for you because we're not always going to know where we're going to be at the end of the day. It would drive a type A personality crazy not knowing where you're going to lay your head that night. And we're going to be rejected in some places and cast out. And the man walks away because of, here's the word, discouragement. He's discouraged about how difficult it is to follow Jesus. So I want you to think about this. Some of you set out on the road to follow Jesus years ago. And maybe you just got discouraged. It was hard. It's hard to obey Jesus. It's inconvenient. It's unpopular. Then you see other Christians, they don't set a very good example for you, and, and sometimes it's just discouraging because it's difficult. There's a man in 1921. His name was Evan Kane. He was a doctor. And for about 50 years, people had been using general anesthesia for surgery. As a doctor, he wanted to promote local anesthesia for minor procedures. So he thought there's no better way to, to you know, present that to prove that it's possible, I'll do it on myself. So he did his own appendectomy. He applied local anesthetic. He removed his own appendix. Get this. He did that when he was 60 years old, like Jeff. He was an old, old person right there. <laughs> 60 years old. He removed his own appendix. Nine years later, he repaired his own hernia. Nurse propped him up. He repaired his own hernia. There's only one word for this. He's a stud. Okay. If you follow Jesus, I want you to listen to me. You and he are going to do some surgery on you. And it is not going to be easy. 
In fact, what he's going to do is he's going to remove the cancer of selfishness from your life. Boy, and you know what? There might be chemo and radiation involved in that. He is going to unroot that selfishness, and it's going to be, it's going to be painful. You know what else he's going to do? He's going to give you a heart transplant. He's going to take what the Scripture calls a heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. And if you've ever known somebody who's received an organ transplant, they're on anti-rejection medications for the rest of their life because it's so easy to reject that. You can't at any moment. It's difficult to keep going, especially when you don't feel like it. You know what else is going to happen is he's going to give you an infusion. The Holy Spirit's going to come into your life with fruits and gifts, and you're going to learn a whole new set of skills and abilities and emotions that you never knew that you had before. And then on top of that, God is going to fit you with some prosthetics. It's called the armor of the Spirit. Breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the Spirit, and some of that's going to chafe, right? This is not an easy road. And we look... A lot of people are ready to die for Jesus, but only a few people are ready to live for Him because it's a difficult, long road. If you've gotten discouraged and you've slipped off that road, it's time to get back on again because here's what I know. People who have it easy are rarely happy, but those who do what is difficult are the most contented people in the world. This man falls away, he stops because he's just discouraged. It's difficult, okay? Is that you? Look at the second scene. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So let me do just a little bit of historical work here on how people died in the ancient world. Spoiler alert. They died just the way we do today, except there's a little bit different culture around death. In the ancient world, when a person died, this is the Hebrew culture, they would take the body, wrap it in a shroud, put it in a tomb. You'd have a family tomb. It'd be dug out of a rock. They would leave you there for a year, and they would mourn you. They'd come back a year later, and because of the desert environment, there'd be nothing but bones left, so they would collect those bones, put them in a box called an ossuary. Now, that place would be ready for the next person in the family to die, but they'd take that little box and put it in a niche. And they would mourn for another year. So it was about a two-year process. It says something about how long they mourned and how poorly we mourn in our culture. We just say, move on, right? No. So we don't know where this man was in that two-year process. It could have been right before his dad died, right after he could be in the middle. That's not the point. The point is, for this man, there was always going to be something. I'll have to wait for my dad to die, or I've got to wait to collect the bones, or I've got to mourn another year. It's kind of the equivalent of, if you wait to have children when you have money, you will never have children. Can I tell you the secret? Once you have children, you will never have money. That's just the bottom line to it. Let's just, let's just get real, right? So the first man is discouraged. The second one has discovered the art of delay. Listen, why are you delaying to follow Jesus? It could be, well, I don't know what other people are going to think of me. Or I want to get my life straightened out first. Or, here's the big one, I want to have a little more fun first. 
In fact, St. Augustine prayed this because he, he lived a pretty rough life before he became a Christian. He prayed, save me, Lord, but not yet. I want to get in a little more fun. There's always going to be something until you decide that Jesus is more important than all that stuff put together. So um, 1955, Billy Graham was invited to Cambridge University to talk about the blood atonement of Christ, how Christ sacrificed himself for us. The London Times ripped him apart. Who is this American backwater Baptist provincial coming to talk to our educated culture about the blood sacrifice of Christ? It really got to Billy Graham. In fact, he, before he gave these lectures at Cambridge, he tried to, 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 to give a big academic tone. And the first two lectures are very academic, very scholarly. He just knew it was falling flat. So on that third night, the Wednesday night at Cambridge in 1955, he scrapped all of his notes. He spent time in prayer. And he went in and he just spoke about all of the sacrifices in the Bible. Let me read what one pastor wrote who was there. His name is Dick Lucas, who went on to become a pastor. He said this, I'll never forget that night. It was a totally packed house. I had professors and chaplains sitting on either side of me, very good men, but completely against the idea that we needed salvation by the blood of Christ. Dear Billy Graham got up that night and began at Genesis and went right through the whole Bible and talked about every single sacrifice in it. I love this line. The blood was flowing all over that great hall everywhere for three quarters of an hour. All my neighbors were horribly embarrassed by this crude proclamation that the blood of Christ was needed, and they were sure that no bright, sophisticated young British person was going to believe this stuff. But at the end of the sermon, to everyone's shock, 400 men and women stayed to commit their lives to Christ. So I remember over a cup of tea a few years later talking with another pastor, and I said, when did this Christian thing start for you? And this pastor said, at Cambridge in 55 with Billy Graham on a Wednesday night. All I remember is I walked out of that church for the very first time in my life thinking, Christ really died for me. Christ really died for you. The blood still flows and you can wade in or you can wait, but I promise you there is nothing more urgent than you stepping into the flow of that sacrifice and discovering salvation. So there's discouragement, there's delay. Here's the third conversation. Still another said, I will follow you, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Notice these conversations, let me point this out. In the first conversation, the man offers, but Jesus objects. In the second conversation, Jesus offers, but the man objects. In this third conversation, the man offers and objects. He, he, he says, I'm going to follow you, and then immediately starts making excuses, right? So what's happening here? This is not discouragement. This is not delay. The third one is distraction. He's got other things going. Can I be honest with you for a minute? Can I be honest with you for a minute? I didn't get an answer. Okay, all right. 
this side was louder than you guys. Y'all need to get right with the Lord. I don't know what's happening over here. So many things I deal with in the church and that our church deals with has nothing to do with following Jesus. It has nothing or very little to do with learning how to obey everything Jesus commanded. Let me give you a couple of examples. We spend a lot of time here talking about music and what kind of music people like or don't like. Can I tell you, it's not about the music, that's about taste. It's about what we're singing, that's about prayer, right? And and we, we get distracted by what kind of music do we have or We get distracted by political stuff. I mean, our culture is polarized. That is not what we do here. Kings will come and go. King Jesus reigns forever. Let's focus on that, okay? There's so many issues that threaten to divide. You know what else we spend a lot of time on? Little petty personality disputes. You know what Jesus says? If somebody hurts you, you go to them. If they won't come to you, you go to them anyway, even if it's not your fault, and work it out there. (laughs) Let's take care of it. You know, two followers of Jesus, if they love the Lord, they ought to be able to love one another. We spend a lot of energy spinning wheels on drama and not discipleship. Okay. Those are some of the distractions. So let me ask you how you see your church today. Let me give you two options. Here's one way to see your church. Yep, that's it. Right there. There it is. I've got an idea, and I'm looking at a couple that just returned from a cruise. I say we raise money. Let's buy a cruise ship and live on the ship and do church together. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. We would be like the floating floating church, you know? We just go everywhere and just love Jesus and live on a cruise ship forever. My wife would be the captain. She would love that, right? This is one way to see the church. Hey, let's go back to the first one. I want bright lights. I want, by the way, I see my room right there where I want my room to be. I want, I want to be entertained. Here's a second way to see the church. You've already seen this. We're not a pleasure craft. We're, we're a rescue vessel. We ought to be bringing cure and comfort to the world. Now, this is not as fun, but this is meaningful. That we bring the light and hope of Christ to the world. So, it's really easy to talk about, okay, let's, let's not be discouraged. Let's not delay. Let's not be distracted. Let's follow Jesus. Let's learn to obey everything that he's commanded us to do. It's really easy to adopt that in, in concept, but I want to get down and dirty with this just a minute and make this tactile. What is that? What are we talking about? How do we set out to learn to obey everything Jesus commanded? So I'm going to give you a word. So this is the first time I've taught this. I kind of want to taste this today as I speak it. I'll maybe tweak it a little bit, but it's this word, core. Can we put that word up there? Um, So I've been doing some physical therapy here lately, and I've been hearing this word over and over and over again. If you want to get better, you have to strengthen your core. I've been living with this word morning, noon, and night for days, weeks, months. Strengthen the core. I kept playing with this idea. If we were to strengthen our core, by the way, You work on your core so you can work from your core. Let me explore this a little bit more before we unpack this. The word core actually is a French word that means heart. If you know the core of a piece of fruit, it's the very center. Nuclear physics, the core is the inner part of the reactor that contains the fuel from where the reactions take place. A computer core 
is the core where the processors are linked together to form one integrated center of operations. Our physical core is the foundation of body movement. Everything, stability, flexibility, mobility, emanates from the core. So if we want to be healthy as a church and healthy as individuals, we need to work on our core so we can work from our core. So let me unpack this. Again, this is the first time I've taught this. Let's explore this together. The C in core. Celebrate God. Worship is core to who we are. I'm going to put this on uh, even up a level. Corporate worship. We've tried for a couple of years to say, you can worship with your computer at home. No, you can't. Not corporately. This is a time that we set aside to celebrate God, to remember, and here's the core of worship. We remind ourselves and one another, the world is not centered around me. I am not the center of the universe. God is. And we celebrate. And as we celebrate, we remember, and as we live, we live from the core of knowing God. Okay? Here's what the O stands for. Offer yourself in service. If you're a Christian and doing nothing for God, you might be a Christian, but you're probably being disobedient. No, you're being disobedient. And this is not about you serving in a place in the church, although it could involve that. It's about serving God in your day-to-day life. Do you see what these two things are? They're the two great commandments, love God and love others. That offering yourself in service, that's compassion. Here's the R in core. Read Scripture and pray. We read the Bible because in the Bible, God always keeps His promises. Always. And we need to remember that. And we need to talk to God about that. Here's the final one. Engage in relationships. You, you can't do Christianity alone you require accountability and community around you. Now, I'm going to leave these words up here for just a minute because I want to unpack them in a different way. If you want to be healthy physically, there's a couple things you need to do. You need to rest. If you try to be physically active and physically fit, but you're not getting at least seven hours of sleep every night, you will not be healthy. You'll be exhausted. That's celebrating God. We rest in His presence. We rest in His reality. We are rejuvenated and refreshed by being with Him. If you want to be healthy, you better practice some resistance training. That's the only way to strengthen your core. That's offering yourself in service. You're offering yourself to other people. You're offering to serve them. You're pushing back against your own laziness. You're pushing back against the darkness of the world to bring light. It's difficult, but you're working from the core to serve reading Scripture and prayer. No matter how much you work out or sleep, you're not going to be healthy if you don't eat right. If you try to exercise, but you go home and you eat a plate of nachos every night, which sounds really good right now, doesn't it? You will not be healthy. You need a steady, healthy diet. By the way, there's a lot of junk to be consumed in our world. And Christians are consuming a lot of it we are not going to be healthy as a result. We have to consume a healthy diet of Scripture and prayer. And then, really this engaging in relationships, just think about that as coaching. And I want you to think about a professional athlete who gets to the top of their game. You take any professional athlete and 
basketball, football, baseball, they never get to the point where they say, I don't need anybody to coach me. In fact, they'll get to the top of their game and they'll have more coaches than ever before to fine tune their game. If you're a follower of Jesus and you say, I really don't need other Christians, that is not perfection, that is pride. And we need other people around us to coach us and help us to see some things that we don't. So would you trust me again for just a moment? Would you close your eyes with me? I'm gonna ask you not to look up. I'm gonna ask the guys in the camera room just to keep the camera on the platform, not pan the congregation this morning. I've asked you to discern as we looked at these three potential disciples, which one's you? Are you discouraged because it's difficult to follow Jesus? Are you delaying or are you distracted? Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. As I go through these one more time, I'm gonna ask you to lift your hand when I get to that one that describes you. No one else is looking. The only reason I'm looking is because I'm nosy and I also wanna be a good pastor. So if you are discouraged, following Jesus is difficult and you're just tired, would you just lift your hand before the Lord? Thank you. If you make a lot of excuses not to follow Jesus and you're delaying that full discipleship, would you lift your hand before the Lord? Thank you. Just to let you know, this is where I'm gonna raise my hand and where I think most people are. If you have a thousand things going on and it's hard to give your attention to Jesus because you are so distracted, lift your hand before the Lord right now. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, you can open your eyes and look at me for just a moment. Let me give you one last story and one last scripture. So I told you last week about going to visit Jack in the hospital and introducing Jack to Jesus. He went home a couple of days later, hospital room set up in his house and his wife called and asked if I'd come by and visit with him and I said, of course. So I go over and I took my son with me because I know Jack had, and, and that's a pseudonym by the way. It's also a fake name, just to let you know what a pseudonym is. So I go over to, uh, to Jack's house and I tell my son, you know, the first step of obedience is baptism. Jack's in a hospital bed, you know, what are we gonna do? And, and so I took some water with me from the Jordan River and I said, when we go in, I'm just gonna ask if Jack wants to be baptized. Now, if you're not around Baptist circles, Baptists believe in dunking people, right? Well, Jack's in a hospital bed, so I was gonna offer to sprinkle him. Please don't tell the Baptist police about that, all right? but we do the best we can. It's not about the quantity of water, it's about the quality of a person's heart. So I go over to his house and, and I thought he and his wife were gonna be alone, but I walk in and they're having a family reunion in the room. A lot of family there, I was like, oh, this is not what I expected, this, this is kinda awkward. I, you know, maybe we ought to do this later, but I thought, no, that's not my decision to make, this is Jack's decision to make. So I talk with Jack, family is very welcoming, you know, who's the strange pastor coming in, but we talk and Jack shares with them how he accepted Christ. And, and so I asked him, you know, Jack, since you brought that up, once you know the first step of obedience is baptism and I, I brought some water, would you like to do that right now here today with your family? He said, yes. He said, could we put the water in my favorite coffee mug? I said, absolutely. So his wife went and got it 
and on the front it had a picture of a cat. I said, we're done here. I'm leaving. I'm out. I said, you know what? I put the water in the coffee mug and baptized him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you, we had church that day. Here's the deal. For him, there was no discouragement. There was no delay. There was no distraction. It is amazing when life gets difficult on how you focus on what truly matters. And I don't know where you are today. We have a thousand things going on, a thousand excuses, a thousand reasons not to. But Jesus says, here's what the Holy Spirit is saying to this church, to the church in the Western world, and to you. Follow me. Learn how to do everything I have commanded you to do. I want you to be my disciples. So I'm going to read one more passage of Scripture over you. This is Hebrews 12, the first three verses of Hebrews 12. And this would be a good passage this week to memorize, to pray, to process. Listen to this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, a lot of people in the past who followed God, and we have their stories, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Right there, no delay. Throw it off, follow Jesus. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Right there, no distraction. I'm focusing on Jesus. Everything else needs to get out of the way. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There's no discouragement right there. We follow Jesus down the road one step at a time, learning to obey everything he has commanded us to do. I don't know about you, that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Let's do that with no discouragement, no delay, no distraction. Would you stand with me? I must pray together. So, Jesus, we look around our lives, and there are a thousand reasons to be discouraged. There are millions of reasons to be delayed, and there are an infinite number of distractions. But at the center of all of that, there's you. Thank you that the blood still flows from Calvary. And thank you that we don't need to wait, but we can wait into it. And thank you with everything else that is about us, you, Jesus, are worthy to give our lives to. And it's good that we remind ourselves of this. Jesus, it's in your name that we offer our prayer. Amen. So we're going to sing a song, and this is, this is an antiphonal song. That means Jeff is going to sing over us, and we're going to respond. Don't respond if you don't mean it. This is a moment of saying he, he is worthy. Normally, we open up the follow-up room right now. We're not going to do that at this moment. We will in a minute. I'm just asking you to be here in the presence of God and worship. We'll open up the follow-up room here in just a moment. But let's sing and respond to the Lord together. Jeff, would you sing over us? Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing 
And I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.